Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I'm here with Rick Willard. And we're going to be talking about the film, the blockchain, and us, and uh, possibly Agentic Group as well. Rick, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Rich. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. I'm okay. Yeah, would you tell listeners, tell, me, tell them about the film and um, your role in it and uh, some of the work that you're doing that's blockchain-related? Uh, sure. Uh, the, well, the film, uh, Manny Stegar's film, The Blockchain and Us, is... Uh, something that he had asked me to do uh, several months ago when I was in Zurich, and uh, he cornered me in my hotel room. And really, we just had a conversation about about the state of blockchain uh, today. It's still being in its infancy. And I basically just talked about things that people in my industry don't often talk about, which is the social implications of this technology. Uh, the ability to to create new forms of value. Uh, it's a very scary, uh, well, it, it's just a very scary, uh, you know, notion to many people because they've built their lives around what they believe value to be uh, for the past uh, couple thousand years, uh, and which has resulted okay. in the sort of Byzantine banking system that we have. But what is it about blockchain you think that causes people to be to be anxious about it? Well, there are a couple of things that cause people to be anxious about blockchain. Uh, first is the reimagining and reconfiguration of value, uh, which de-emphasizes banks and de-emphasizes uh, fiat or you know, nation-state developed currencies uh, in favor of value tokens that can be freely traded in a frictionless manner. Uh, I think that's the first thing. People are really invested psychologically in their notion of what value means. So when you sort of attack that, then people get very concerned uh, about not only uh, you know the nature of, of, of money and value, but their own lives and how they've lived them. Uh, the fact is hmm. that I, th- I think the other uh, side of that coin is that the potential for financial inclusion has never been greater. Uh, through the token ecosystem. And that also ruffles a lot of people's feathers because that that then gives a different value uh, to uh, the relationship between countries, the relationships between people. Uh, and that's also been codified over the past, uh, you know, 1,500 years or so uh, into something uh, that uh, has been uh, taken to its, its limit. I think at this point. So we're looking at a new, not a paradigm shift so much as a phase shift, uh, like the industrial revolution was a phase shift. We're going into the real digital revolution now because when uh, money and value uh, gets involved, then things change pretty radically. Well, you know, I live in the United States. Sounds like you do too. Um, I rarely use cash anymore. It's all card. So money seems to have become electronic kind of quietly over the past you know, five, 10 years. Do you think yeah, that will I, help people to understand Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? Or do you think there's still a huge gap? And if you do, why? Why is there a huge yeah, gap, if you think so? We do transfer cash, uh, fiat specifically, more efficiently now 
uh, on a peer-to-peer basis, but the underlying system, the banking system, is still very much in place. And that banking system entails a lot of inefficiencies and inequalities that have been codified over, over the past several hundred years. So nothing has really changed. The delivery mechanism doesn't change the underlying system. Uh, meta assets, or what people like to call digital currencies, actually changes the underlying system. Uh, so it's a systemic change and phase shift. Uh, and that is what's new about this whole thing. So we really have to reimagine our relationship with the notion of value and uh, reimagine our relationship as a result of that with each other. Because the banking system, while people don't like to necessarily say this, is, is a rigged game in many cases. Um, if you have money, it's great. If you don't have money, it's the worst possible scenario. So mm. when you democratize the ability to create value and to tie tokens to that value and create your own uh, economy, then uh, this is very threatening to many people, many incumbents, who uh, would rather we didn't do that. Okay, gotcha. What else have you learned about um, seeing how people interact with just the concept of you know, blockchain and Bitcoin, and maybe actually, in, um, you know, have you seen people try to buy things using Bitcoin or, you know, you yourself, what's been your experience? You know, say more about the, uh, the social implications from your perspective. What have you seen literally? The, well, what I've seen is um, you can use Bitcoin to travel the world. You'll be doing so on a, a very limited range of, of choices of where to eat and and which uh, airline to fly and all of those kinds of things. But uh, it is available to you, uh, to anyone, that is. Uh, adoption of Bitcoin is interesting to me, but it is not necessarily uh, the end goal in my particular thinking. It, it, I, I'm, I'm fairly agnostic when it comes to uh, the technology uh, being used for, on, say, the Bitcoin blockchain with Bitcoin tokens or the Ethereum blockchain with Ether, uh, the ERC-20 mm. protocol, things like that. Uh, these are simply early manifestations of the concept that we're digging deeper into every day, which is how do you uh, unearth value, uh, new value in a digital realm? It's natively digital and therefore frictionless and without uh, banks or borders. So this is a huge question. Uh, and, and as I said earlier, it really touches on a lot of uh, socio-political uh, issues that uh, really won't get resolved anytime soon, but ultimately will be resolved. And that's when you know you're in a new phase. All right. And tell me more about this uh, this film. What was your involvement and what did the film talk about? And, you know, let's go through that. The film was interesting in that there are a lot of people in there that I know, uh, Perry Ann Boring, uh, Alex Tapscott, and people like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so many of whom whom I've worked with in one capacity or another. And I I think that it gets down into some of these larger questions. It's not really focused on the technology so much as the implication, uh, both in finance and society. Again, I I tend to look at the societal implications. um, So I think that the financial implications drive that. Other people are, you know, really focused in a, in a very serious way on the implications in finance itself. Like, post-trade environments, et cetera. My, uh, my partners, I have two partners in my company, Agentic Group, and uh, they have different focuses. One is focuses on, on operational aspects uh, of the blockchain and supply chains and things like that. Another one focuses on energy applications. Right. So each, each sector of, of humanity is being uh, 
uh, is being touched by this in profound ways. The movement for identity and trust and permissioned environments that the blockchain in total as a technology offers is, is really fundamentally changes the relationship of, of how people you know, do business or how they interact. So you can't really divorce the financial from the social, from the governmental implication, because you're really talking about the sway of nation states. You know, what, what nation states uh, have is a, a monopoly on, on money in many cases, um, at least the central banks do. And that, um, that paradigm is going to have to live parallel with what's coming up now. So, do you uh, sorry, think so, that's yeah, so to answer your question, I mean, the film really highlights some of these issues that, that are just really being you know, talked about now uh, as we understand that this could be a sustained movement over time. So we have to, to look more at how this affects the world, not only that it can affect the world. Yeah. Have you seen it in practice, how people uh, relate to Bitcoin? I'll, I'll give you an example. I just talked to one of the big dogs over at Fidelity, and they decided a year ago to accept Bitcoin in their cafeteria. And you think, oh, no big deal. You know, he said, but there was, you know, there were some issues. Like one guy that was a real enthusiast, you know, um, he was trying to buy, uh, I don't know, his meal. And at that time, the mempool was, you know, it was recently just a, a month or two or maybe three months ago, the mempool was up to like 200,000 or 300,000 transactions that were backlogged and his transaction couldn't confirm. And he, you know, he tried several times that day, but he couldn't, you know, buy his food, for instance, in the cafeteria. And he was real frustrated. And other people just were like, you know, what is a wallet? How does this work? You know, I have to manage my private keys. It, it was a lot tougher, they said, than, oh, we'll just accept Bitcoin in the cafeteria. So I wanted yeah. to know what has been, have you been out and about and have you tried to live off Bitcoin, for instance, or seen people try to do transactions in it? And what's been your experience in seeing people uh, try to use it or, or be, be told about it and say, what? What, what is that? You know? Yeah, I, I get the what is Bitcoin question all the time. And uh, usually it's followed by, isn't it that illegal currency that people use to run drugs and to, uh, to uh, pay uh, hitmen with? And, you know, this is all the early stories of, of, of Bitcoin. And my response uh, always is, well, I, w I would argue that more drugs uh, have been run and more murders committed in the name of the U.S. dollar than any Bitcoin that ever was. And, and maybe even in Roman, you know, uh, Roman coin from the old days. The, the idea of wherever you have any kind of value, you're going to find people trading that value for, for good, regular, everyday things or for some very nefarious things. And Bitcoin is no different. Any of these currencies are really no, no, no different in that respect. So um, I just do my best. We do a lot of education at Agentic Group. Um, I'll be going down to, uh, to El Salvador, actually, in a couple of weeks to, to speak with business leaders and bankers there uh, who really are you know, more, more clueless than many about what's going on simply because the media doesn't really pick it up very much down there. Uh, and our, our goal is to, to spread knowledge about this in many respects. Uh, we do, obviously, consulting and, and uh and we have a membership of 56 companies around the world that focus on technology. But education is a big part of what has to happen in this space on an ongoing basis. The issue with 
with I'll just use the word cryptocurrency, even though I, I, I don't like to use it very much because it's going out of that realm at this point. But the it is essentially the domain still of uh, the technology crowd. And the technology okay. crowd and the math crowd understands it uh, much more deeply than the average person would, just like the average person really, you know, doesn't do uh, uh, advanced, you know, quantum physics cal- calculations. You know, it's just not something people, you know, deal with every day. Uh, this is very similar, but it boils down to something very basic, which is how do you uh, create value and how do you then transfer that value efficiently with as, with as little uh, friction as possible and as little loss of capital, like say in banking fees or remittance fees and things like that. And then how can you then turn around and use that same value for social good? And if we don't do that, then we're going to have a big problem. It's just going to be the same old stuff with a, a different uh, wrapper uh, and not very much will be done in the world. So if we have an opportunity to actually use these things to generate new forms of wealth, not, not wealth transfer. You know, no one's asking for anybody else's wealth, like the taxes or something like that. This is new generation, and there'll be trillions and trillions of dollars of new wealth generated in the most unlikely of places. And I mean, sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, South America, Central America, et cetera. Okay. So, by the way, that's the question that's come up for me is, what do you call the space? seems like I, I have to call it the uh, Bitcoin, I always have to put that in there, the Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, app token, and blockchain space. Do you have to call mm-hmm. it all that as a distributed ledger space? What do you call it anymore? Well, people tend to, to, to bring it down to the distributed ledger technology, uh, technology acronym, you know, DLT, but uh, we use the phrase meta-assets. These are assets that have been generated through a variety of means and therefore have a value, but we're not sure what that, you know, the, the systemic uh, longevity of any of these at this point. So they're essentially meta-assets until they prove to be something else. Okay. So w- what are you doing right now? What's your day-to-day involvement in the uh, meta-asset world, we can call it now? The DLT, ABC, XYZ, crypto. <laughs> I guess you just call it the crypto world. I don't know. That's what I call it. But, uh, okay. Well, yeah, what's your current involvement? What are you working on? We uh, consult with high-level organizations and entities. Uh, our, our clients have been the country of Luxembourg, the port of Rotterdam, uh, Moog Aerospace Division here in New York State. Uh, and we we provide strategic analysis of how blockchain can be used uh, for whatever they're trying to do. So in the case of Luxembourg, we we have a strategic program along with Jeremy Rifkin's TIR group, uh, who wrote the blockchain part of it, for the country of Luxembourg. So how to to look at blockchain technology in light of all of their societal pillars, transportation, education, agriculture, smart buildings, et cetera, finance. Uh, and how blockchains interweave all of these together and what might likely scenarios look like. So, so we do that kind of work. Uh, and then with our membership, uh, again, we're now up to 56 uh, members on five continents and growing at about two or three a quarter. Um, we introduce our uh, members into that client world and also into the world of finance uh, usually with with uh, private funds like uh, hedge funds and and private equity and family offices, in order to spearhead some of the um, uh, forward momentum that's gathered in the space from a financial standpoint. So you know we we bring investors, we bring clients, and we bring startups into the same sandbox. 
and allow them to to create. Huh. Okay. What what kinds of uh, are you able to comment on projects that are in the sandbox right now, and what does it look like? I, I, uh, we are actually uh, in stealth mode, and we are okay. uh, creating uh, some pretty amazing applications around our mission um, that will be launched later on this year. So right. as far as that goes, that, that, that's our main uh, focus right now. We're still you know, chugging along with, with the, the day-to-day stuff, but the real mission right now is to create a global platform uh, to be able to do this and to tie together uh, digitally all of our ecosystem, which is a pretty ambitious project. What kind of um, things have you seen from your consulting, especially with, uh, you know, the Port of Rotterdam, like you said, um, and, you know, one or two nations you've dealt with? How do they see, uh, you know, blockchain versus uh, maybe individuals? I, I've, I've been sort of surprised. Um, it depends on the will of the organization. And I think we've been lucky enough to deal with, with organizations and entities that have a real will to understand it, um, who, for whatever reason, are trying to leapfrog the sort of traditional old ways of doing business or thinking digitally and embrace this newness, embrace this phase shift. I think any entity embracing phase shift is going to really benefit uh, from this movement. And those who just can't wrap their heads around it at the end of the day are going to be the ones who are the the dinosaurs um, and they will perish like dinosaurs tend to do. Did I, answer, did, I, did I answer the question? Um, yeah. What I'd like to know is um, I've talked to members of, you know, the R3 Consortium, Ripple, like I said, Fidelity Bank. You know, it's funny. I see there's two camps in the, you know, the Bitcoin world, you could say. There's the people that are like enthusiasts for Bitcoin and they want to keep it for the unbanked and, you know, to buy a cup of coffee. And they just, they love it. They want to keep it away from government, big institutions. Mm-hmm. and they seem to feel that big institutions either are evil or stupid or greedy, and they want to co-opt this technology, parts of it, for themselves. And and then you have the large institutions, which do have tremendous need. You know, the back office settlement and compliance and regulation can cost hundreds of billions, and they would like to be able to, you know, run their systems more efficiently. And I found that they're not stupid, and they're not just greedy, and they're not just trying to co-opt the technology, but they, at times they do... They don't want to talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And, you know, these are the two worlds that I see. Do you see that with your consulting? You seem to have a pretty wide perspective. Yeah, I, I, I see that and I, and I see more. I, I see organizations that want to use this in a very benevolent way, like uh, with supply chains in the Port of Rotterdam or supply chains, uh, the Belt and Road Supply Chain Consortia coming out of Hong Kong. We really want to, do, to use this in ways that, that make life a lot more efficient and, and stable. And then you have, you know, the, the, the real funny story was, I think, in the December of 2013, 13 or 14, J.P. Morgan attempted to uh, patent the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, that clearly was... A really? Shady. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Tell me it, more it, about that. What happened there? Google. Well, no, nothing happened. They were denied the patents because they couldn't prove that they invented it because nobody knows exactly who the inventor is. So, the, right. you know, that was, that was one instance of pure greed. And, and you, you see a real spectrum uh, of people who are still involved in this space. And, and that's, I think, natural and normal, but it's, it's more than the early internet, which I was a part of as well. In the early internet, you had technologists and you had you know, basically kids who were creative and 
with building websites and isn't that great? And then we got into functionality and of course we had to sell it to advertising to make any money. So it became co-opted very quickly. Uh, this movement, this phase shift, not paradigm shift, but phase shift, mm -hmm. includes a lot of different kinds of people, libertarians, anarchists, arch conservatives, uh, armchair liberals, uh, wackos. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it includes, it, it's got a real wide birth of, uh, that contains a whole different, you know, lots of different kinds of people, people who are you know, into social good. And each one of them, the beauty of that, I think, is each one of them is going to find and unlock the intrinsic tradable value within their systems. And that tradable value will determine whether those ideas have any merit or not. Because the marketplace mm -hmm. of ideas is turning into the marketplace of the value of those ideas. And that is a real big difference in how humanity has, has, has lived. But uh, maybe the value of ideas has always been there, of course, but now it's writ large on the global internet with billions of people competing for their ideas to, to come into the fore. And if you can tokenize that and add value to it, then not only do you, you know, drive actual pure capitalism into, into hyperdrive, which I think is a good thing without the interference of the, the frictioned entities, but also the marketplace of ideas gets a lot more credence and, and ideas can really come on a, a more visceral level. Uh, and that, that should be quite interesting, I think, moving forward. But there are lots of people who are involved in this thing. And, and that makes me, that made me early on become platform agnostic. Hmm. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very unusual uh, having you know, some little bit of Bitcoin like I do, a little bit of Ether and things like that. Uh, I am not tied to the philosophy of, of Bitcoin per se. I'm tied to the philosophy of meta assets being able to change the world for the better. And there are ways that that can be done. Uh, and there are places where that's already happening. Uh, but okay. in, in, in terms of the technology, and, and I'm quite agnostic uh, as I think Bitcoin has its place. I think Ether has its place. I think that even Dash and uh, you know, these other, you know, the Litecoin, they, they, they have right. their place. When you start to attaching tokens to, to new ideas, to new business processes, and other things, you're going to see a multiplicity of tokens in the world. That will that's be exactly what I was going to ask you. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's that's where we're headed, um, and it's not so different. I mean, humanity has always sort of functioned this way. Um, before the Civil War in the U.S., there were over ten thousand different currencies that people hmm. put into play every day. The local grocery store had its own currency or chip. Um, a region or a city might have had its own currency. The railroad would have its own currency. So all of these were either, you know, either locked in, in their own microcosm or traded freely for other forms of currency that were local. So you could do that in the non-internet, not, not even automobile age. Just walk over to the next county and say, I've got these and you can trade those at my general store, but I want to buy some shoes here. That kind of thing was done, this sort of sneaker exchange, if you will. But I guess it's like uh, cigarettes in jail. Exactly. Currency is where you find it, right? I mean, in, in, in Kenya, one of the largest currencies around are phone minutes. Mm -hmm. And peso, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, if you look at loyalty points, loyalty points are actually really a currency if you look at it. They act like discount uh, uh, schemes, but they're really a, sort of a currency. You can trade. This will make, uh, by the way, blockchains will make loyalty points more definitively real currency because you'll trade them for other things like Bitcoin or Ether. And you can cash out of it, which is very, very yeah. The, the loyalty um, uh, sector is going to explode with this in the next five years or so.
Yeah, I spoke to Sean Dennis of Loyal.com, and uh, mm-hmm. that's exactly what they're working on. Great, great yeah, well, system, really yeah. interesting. Yeah, Loyal is one of our members. They're out in Dubai. Okay. They've been a member for about a year. Uh, we, we've oh, tracked great. them, um, you know, with everything that they've been doing. They're doing a great job out there, you know, moving that, that particular sector forward. With all these initiatives, and you backed, you, you know, your your group has backed a number of them. We just talked about Loyal. Um, there's so many exciting things going on, but is innovation failing, or is it not getting where it needs to be in any sector or area of this of this ecosystem? Yeah, I, I think innovation is actually flourishing um, in this space. I mean, literally every week something new happens, and, and something pretty exciting happens. Uh, somebody attacks a problem in a very new way. And we get to see that because of our membership. Uh, we get to see on a global basis what kinds of applications are winning, what kinds are losing, what kinds of teams or what kinds of thinking is prevalent and where it's prevalent. So, so that you know, lets us believe that innovation is actually uh, stronger than ever around the world. Uh, however, adoption is failing. Adoption is failing for the reasons that I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, the fear and uncertainty uh, the wholesale, I have to say, attack on embedded values, values that we, you know, society, Western society anyway, has had for, you know, a thousand years or, so or more um, are, are being questioned. And the way of doing things is being questioned. So, so that, with that disconnect, uh, the adoption of innovation is failing. And what is really important about that is to know that these large corporations, these large entities, countries, and everything are, are getting wise to the fact that innovation no longer lives on their doorstep. It's not enough to go downstairs to a local garage where the kids are hanging out in the, in the work hubs and say, hey, give us some innovation. Or, hey, we'll buy your company and we'll be innovative. Uh, the skunk works, you know, they're no longer working. Innovation is happening all over the world in places that you could not have said the same thing about 25 years ago. Mm. Kenya, uh, Buenos Aires, Sao Paulo, Vancouver, you know, Slovenia, Estonia. You know, th- these, are, these are new places when you speak about innovation. And there are many, many, many others. Um, I'm just, just rattling off a couple off the top of my head. And because they oh, know that's that. That's really cool. Because we can now draw from a, you know, humanity can benefit all of humanity. We can draw from a pool of 7 billion instead of select amounts of people in a few countries. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what the Gentic Group does. We are involved in innovative, rather exponential innovation is how we position it. We gather the best thinkers in that space, in, in, in this space, decentralized, distributed blockchain space. And then we put them in one place and then allow those forward-thinking entities, both, you know, both large companies and middle market, you know, for anywhere from 100 to 500 million in revenues who can't afford really real R&D, uh, hard, hardcore R&D, to come into this ecosystem, to kick the tires, to get to know some of the people, to be able to interact in a way that puts everybody on to the same path. Uh, and then that's where innovation is really happening. You know, local innovation is, I, I would say, and I believe this wholeheartedly, completely dead. If you're not really innovating in a global sense and you're not having input from different parts of the world on an ongoing basis, you're not really innovating. You're just, you're just window shopping or trying, trying to see, you know, what, what's out there. Real innovation, mm-hmm. as, uh, as Steve Jobs, I think, once famously said, or at least was attributed to saying, 
uh, innovation happens at the water cooler. And Agenda Group is, in fact, a global water cooler in that respect. Yeah, that's that's really great. Um, now, a hard question, probably one of the last, but um, what's your vision on what's going to happen in the next year, the next three to five years, you know, short term, long term, um, with Bitcoin, with these meta assets, with, you know, with, what are some of the big events that you predict or think are going to happen in the next few years in this space? I think the next six months will be the sort of the, the summer and, and fall, or summer and winter and fall of initial token offerings. I think a lot of value, as we see now happening, uh, is going to be pushed into the sector through these ITOs, or people like to call them initial coin offerings, but they're not really coins. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, as much as over the next year, you know, a billion or so dollars will flow into the space. And then you'll start to see real innovation around the world. You start to see people really, you know, with, you know, backed by capital who are now out of the garage phase and into real life. Um, so we'll see an explosion of that. We will see also, I think, um, a lessening of the importance of the incumbents, uh, especially if scaling issues don't get solved. Uh, scaling is a big part of this. If Bitcoin you know, cannot scale effectively, and if Ethereum cannot scale effectively because it's being used a lot right now, then you're going to have other meta assets coming up to take their place and technologies that are embedded into a, a sort of faster um, transaction algorithms. So the, you know, this is an important thing to remember is that this is just the beginning. I mean, Henry Ford revolutionized car making or the car itself but also automobile manufacturing with a conveyor belt. Um, we are at the Model, the model T uh, phase right now with all of this. You know, soon enough, there'll be a Ferrari. You know, we are, we're living in internet time, so it's not going to take two or three generations to get to a Ferrari. It, it's going to take just a few years before people start understanding you know, how to deal with scaling issues, how to deal with distributed technologies and apps in general, and decentralized apps, apps even. There's a large disconnect when you say you're going to give a government a decentralized application. You know, the government can't wrap their head around that. Uh, they are a centralized right. entity, and they can't even understand that language. Uh, so you're going to have to have bridge technologies that will be able to, to, to prove points. And I think that it's hard to make a prediction, but I, I will say that we're going to keep on seeing more and more tokens come out that have greater or lesser value based on utility. Uh, based on ideas or some tangible asset that can be produced. And, that's, and I, will pre- I will predict that that will change the face of what we call money. And that will also create wealth in, in, uh, in, new, in new places around the globe. Very good. Well, Rick, it's been a great interview. I appreciate it. Um, how can companies and or individuals with ideas come out of the woodwork and find your company and, and talk to you about uh, possible collaboration? What's the best way? Uh, our website is under redevelopment right now, but we do have a placeholder there that has a contact information. If anybody wants to send me an email, you can go to www.agenticgroup.com. Uh, and there's a button there. It says contact and just shoot me any message you want to get. It'll, it'll get to me uh, pretty quickly and uh, happy to address any questions or comments people may have. All right. Very good. Well, thanks for coming. And um... you've been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse. 
such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.